Well, good morning again and welcome to Sojourn. It's so good to be with you on a beautiful, I guess, fall morning, uh, even though it still kind of feels like summer outside, but a beautiful morning to come together to worship our living God today. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Hebrews this morning, so if you need a copy of the Bible, if you just raise your hand, a couple of guys will bring a Bible around to you. We'd love for you to be able to read along with us out of the book of Hebrews this morning. Uh, and if you don't actually own a copy of the scriptures, please feel free to take that with you. That's our gift to you. We want you to have God's word, not only today, but all throughout the week, uh, because we do believe it's God's word to us. But as we begin our time together this morning, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to bless this time in his word. Would you pray with me? <clears throat> Lord, we come before you this morning, and as we prayed from Psalm 16, as we read over that this morning, that we want to set you before us. Lord, I don't know what's going on in each person's life, how their week has been, but as we confessed, as we thought about the reality of our week, there's so many things that we set before us that aren't you. And so, Lord, I just pray for us this morning that you would help us to set all of those other things aside, maybe very real things, difficulties, challenges, things that are just occupying our minds this morning, our hearts this morning. Would you help us to put them aside and to set our gaze on you? And we pray that you would allow our minds and our hearts to engage, to receive what you have for us this morning. Because you, Father, make known to us the path of life. Because you, Father, in your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so we pray we would experience all of that this morning as we open up your living and active word. And may you get all the glory and honor for our time this morning. Bring about transformation, bring about change, bring about life today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let me just remind you that we do put uh, a little short uh, half page of paper in your bulletin every week just for you to take notes for the sermon uh, so that you can engage both as you're listening this morning but also in community all throughout the week as you seek to take God's word as it's preached and then apply it to your life uh, the rest of the week. I'm not sure what you think about boxing. I know some people love boxing and some people despise boxing. But whether you like it or you love it, the antics that go on before a fight are pretty fascinating to me. I mean, take the recent spectacle of the fight between Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor, right? I mean, there was a lot of anticipation about this fight. Even if you don't know much about boxing, you probably heard at least something about it because lots of people were talking about this fight that was going to happen. A lot of the reason for that is because Mayweather going into this fight was undefeated as a boxer and Conor McGregor is an MMA fighter and not a boxer. But what intrigued me most about this fight was not necessarily the fight itself, but all of the things going on before it. They would have press conference after press conference, weigh-ins, all kinds of things like that, and it was a complete circus. I mean, just crazy things going on during these press conferences. And what's the point of all this? Well, certainly there's an entertainment factor, right? They're trying to drum up, drum up enthusiasm and excitement about this big event that's going to take place. But at every press conference and every opportunity that they had to speak to a reporter on a camera or anything like that was an opportunity and an attempt to provoke the other person, to kind of poke their finger at them, to rile them up, to get an emotional rise out of them, to get them angry, just to flat out annoy them. And we see things like provoking like this all the time in our world. 
I mean, whether it's world leaders making bombastic statements about destruction and annihilation, or a base in baseball when a pitcher intentionally hits a batter, or maybe it's when one sibling just is pestering another by saying the same thing over and over and over again, or pinching or poking at them, even though they've been asked to stop. Maybe that only happens in my house. All of these things, though, they cause the one that's being provoked to become angry and and maybe to the point of some outlandish action of response to the one that's provoking them. Well, today, as we continue on in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, we're going to see that because of all that Jesus has done for us, everything that he's accomplished for you and for me and for us together And because we have been called together as a family in Christ, that what he calls us now to do is to provoke one another. To provoke one another. But not in a negative sense, like we just talked about, but in the best way possible. So if you call sojourn your church, my hope for you this morning, for us this morning, is that God would use this time in his word to help us to understand what it means to be a gospel family. What it means to be a gospel family. One that loves, cares for, and challenges one another to keep running the race that's set out before us and to finish that race well. And if you're here this morning visiting, maybe checking out our church, checking out who Jesus is, my hope for you this morning is that you would see that this church is a family that wants to welcome you that wants to love you, that wants to help you no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey so that you might know Jesus, so that you might follow Jesus through the ups and downs of life, through the good and the bad, through the great times and the difficult times of life. Sojourn, Jesus is better. He's better than anything else that this world would offer to you, any promise that this world would make to you because Jesus and his kingdom endure all things. So with that, let's jump into his word and be encouraged to keep following him together. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to be reading verses 19 through 25 this morning. Hebrews chapter 10. This is God's word to us today. Therefore, brothers, Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Two weeks ago, we started a short mini-series within this larger Hebrew sermon series that we've been in since April, and we're spending this short mini-series just four sermons in the same text, looking at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, with this goal, that we want to see how two things that we value as a church, how the gospel and being family, how those things tied together, are tied together, and how they impact who we are and where we're going as a church. 
We've celebrated five years as a church, but as we said, we're looking forward to what God wants us to continue to do together as a family. And so the author has summarized the reality of scandalous grace that the gospel is. That God, the living God, who's holy and lifted up, who's completely right and righteous and just in everything that he does and who he is, has made a way for you and me to come before him. And he does that through Christ. That we get to experience his power and his presence in our life. Just as we read from Psalm 16 this morning, that you and I get to live that out. We get to experience that in our life and not be crushed by it. Not come into God's presence and be completely obliterated by who God is. But, at the sa- but instead of that, actually to rest in it. That we can come before the living God and experience peace. Because he loves you. And he welcomes you in. And he does so through and by the shed blood of Jesus, his son. Our sin has separated us from God, but Jesus took on our sin. He paid for it in full, and he removed the obstacle that kept you and me from God. And it's out of that that the author calls us. A key word, us. Not a bunch of disconnected individuals, but a redeemed community. He calls us to action. He calls us to movement. He calls us to life. Let us draw near to God with a true heart, he says. Not hiding from God, not running from God, not feeling like that we have to bring anything before him or perform for him in order to be accepted by him, but we get to just be with him. And he says, let us, together, let us hold fast the confession of our hope and to do so in the midst of the storms and struggles of life. And do it without wavering. Not because you or I have strength in ourselves to be able to hold on to Jesus, but because the one we hold on to where our hope is is rooted in our risen Savior who has overcome the world for us. Rooted in Him, our faithful God who will never leave us or forsake us. And then we come to these last two verses. And these last two verses in this text that we've been looking at really are the exclamation point on why we need each other. Why you need the people sitting around you this morning. Why we need each other. Why we need to be in true, consistent community in order to remain faithful and focused both as individuals and a church, to be and do everything that God has called us to be and do together. It's the last let us text in this section, and it's all about what it means to be a gospel family. So today, what we're going to do is we're really going to focus in on the ethos of what it means to be a gospel family. When I say ethos, I just mean the, the core characteristics that God calls us to. And that we desire to see manifested in our church. And then next week, we're going to look at these same two verses and really see the context or the the sphere in which God calls us to live out this ethos of being a gospel family. So what is this ethos? What are these core characteristics that the author unpacks for us here in these verses? If we had to boil it down to a one-line sentence, what he's communicating to us is this, that at its core, this is about how you and I are called to engage in one another's lives. How we're called to engage in one another's lives. And what jumps out to me at the very beginning of verse 24 is that the author says, let us consider. Let us consider. 
See, I think we hear that word consider, and we might think of it in the context of applying for a job. So we apply for the job, and the employer says, we'll consider your application amongst the hundred other people that also applied for the job. Or maybe you think about the sometimes seemingly hollow response that a professor might make to you when you ask for a, an extension to a paper or a project because of a personal circumstance that's going on, and they say they'll consider it. They'll consider it. It sounds like a nicety, but doesn't necessarily have a lot of substance to it when we use that word sometimes. But the true sense of the word consider in this text is to give careful thought. To give careful thought, to think about something very closely, to be concerned about it. And the object of this consideration that we're called to is to have careful thought, to have careful concern about one another. In other words, the call to consider requires thinking about others and not just yourself. And man, that presses on us in our American culture. It presses on us in the midst of our individualistic society, which constantly tells us to put self above anything else, to care about you first. And even if you're in the midst of a community, we can still be so individualistic, thinking about our needs above those around us. See, it's only possible to do this, to consider others, when the grace of the gospel has come to bear on your life. It's the, the fruit and implication of a Jesus-transformed life. Why? Because this is how Jesus lived. We see Jesus can't come saying that he came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus modeled this for us, and he empowers us to do this because when we come to know Jesus and, and the gospel comes to bear on our life, it transforms our heart. He takes out this heart of stone, which is set only on ourselves, and he gives us a heart of flesh that's set on living for God. He empowers us to do this. He enables us to do this, and he calls us to live humbly like Christ by counting others as more significant than ourselves, by considering the needs of others above our own. Simply put, the new heart we receive when Christ becomes king of our life empowers us to do what God has called us to do, to love him and love others more than we love ourselves. And apart from Jesus, none of us can do this. But this isn't some vague considering of other people. It's not looking around at the people sitting around you this morning or in community group during the week and saying, yeah, I see you. I'll get up and let you sit in the seat that's more comfortable at community group. I'm considering you. I'll save the last brownie for you at community group. Or I know you're a middle brownie person, so I'm going to save that one for you. That's not what I'm talking about here. It's not that kind of vague, I see you, I know you're there. There's an inherent intentionality behind it. Because the goal of your considering, he says, is how, what are you considering? You're looking at people, you're thinking about them, and you're thinking, how can I stir that person up? How can I stir that person up? How can I stir the people around me up to love and good works? To stir up in the original language has this idea of provoking. When we look at the original language, it's about provocation. It's about provoking another person. But not, again, in that annoying or frustrating or negative sense that we talked about in the introduction, but in an intense and intentional way. It's intentionality because all of us are called if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, all of us are called to live our lives in making much of him. All of us are called to follow Jesus, to lay down our old life, pick up the new life that Christ has given to us, and follow after him. 
to be disciples. That's what it means to be a disciple. And then to make disciples of our neighbors and the nations. While that's true for all of us, each person is uniquely gifted. And each person is uniquely positioned in their life. And so how that call plays out in your life and my life might look different. It's going to look different for a mom or a dad. It's going to look different for a middle school student, a high school student, a college student, than maybe someone who's in the workplace. But the call is there. That, that banner is over our life that we're called to follow Jesus. But how that look, plays out in our life might look different in our life. But what we see in this is that the community of Christ, this resurrection community, this redeemed family, family is called to provoke one another to do those things, to stir up one another. This has the idea of a catalyst, that you're going to catalyze one another. It's like a chemical reaction. That you add a few drops into this, this, uh, this other liquid and it bubbles up. There's a chemical reaction that takes place. It's like a spark that lights a fire. Is the idea that the author's communicating here. It's when another brother in the church can look to another and say, Brother, keep following Jesus. I know you're struggling at work right now with, with having joy in your workplace, but I want to encourage you that Jesus has positioned you there. He's put you there to make much of him. It's, a, it's one mom looking to another mom who's struggling with her kids at home right now and feeling like just the mundaneness of life is just wearing on her and saying, hey, sister, you have been positioned to be there. God is calling you to live out Christ in front of your family and make much of him in your home. It's that idea of stirring one another up to keep following after Jesus regularly and sincerely reminding one another that Jesus is better. You see, the love and good works that we're called to, that we're called to help each other walk in, are all of God's commands. If we're trying to boil down, what is he talking about when he says love and good works? That's it. He's, he's summarizing all of God's commands for your life. And God's commands for your life are not just a bunch of rules to follow. They're not a bunch of boxes to check. They're not put on your life to make your life miserable. All of God's commands are for your joy. They're for your good and they're for God's glory. And so he's saying these love and good works help each other walk out the life that God has called you to, this good and gracious life. Love and good works are not a means of salvation. We don't do good things. We don't seek to obey God in order to receive salvation. We do those things because God has already given us salvation in Christ. And so when he transforms your heart and your life, our desire is to live a life of obedience before him because we want to worship him, we want to glorify him, and because we do believe that following Jesus is better. It all flows out of what the author has already said in verses 19 through 22, what he said in all of the book of Hebrews, that Jesus paid the once-for-all sacrifice for our sin, and left to ourselves, we can never remedy our situation and our separation from God. It is by grace from beginning to end, and it's this grace that leads to a transformed life, and it's from a transformed life that flows out of that as this love and good works. And the good works that he's talking about in this case is love and good works towards one another. How we engage with one another. How we're involved in each other's lives. What we need to see in this, what the author is making, the argument he's making here is that spurring one one another on in this way, spurring one another on to love and good works is a distinguishing, distinguishing mark of the redeemed community. 
That we should be able to look at any gathering of God's people and say that these things should be happening, that we're provoking and stirring one another another up in these ways. But how are we to do this? Well, the author tells us in verse 25, we do this stirring up, we do this provoking by encouraging one another. Encouraging one another. Now you think, encourage one another with what? Well, he's not saying encourage one another by just saying nice things or telling them that they're nice and they're kind and they're good and that we like their clothes. No, it's encouraging one another with the truth of verses 19 through 22. It's encouraging one another with the glory and the grace of God. That God has called us to this glorious life in Christ. We need each other because as we saw in Hebrews chapter 3, sin is deceitful. Sin lies to you. And the world is constantly calling and wooing you with empty promises of satisfaction and comfort that at the end of the day are completely shallow and hollow. And so we need each other to be reminded of those things. To see where sin is deceiving us or where we're being deceived. So if you are in Christ, you are now a child of God. A child of God who he is working in and he's working on to become more and more like Jesus. But we can't forget what that also means for each person here that's following Christ is that we're also a work in progress. We're a work in progress that God promises to bring through, to see through to completion. But the change he is bringing about in you is not something you can undertake on your own. It's not something you can undertake on your own. It is a means of grace to you. It is a gift to you. The people sitting around you this morning are God's gift to you. As you look around and see the people that are sitting here and people that aren't even gathered here this morning, members that are gone this morning, and then there's some college students that are out of town, whoever calls Sojourn their church, this community, God has gifted each of you to each other and to me and me to you, that we would help each other to be molded and shaped and transformed to be who Jesus is calling us to be. Simply put, change in your life is a community project. Change in your life is a community project. You cannot and will not be transformed to be more like Jesus if you're in isolation, if people don't really know who you are. We need each other because God has designed you and created you to be in relationships. Namely with himself, but also with one another. The problem is that sin tears down all relationships. It tears down our relationship with God first, and then it tears down and and jacks up our relationships with one another as well. But the gospel of grace brings redemption to those relationships. It brings restoration By grace, you experience a restored and renewed relationship with God. And by grace, you discover a new and restored relationship with one another. See, in all of this, we're not simply called to be a family who stirs one another up to love and good works by encouraging one another. We're called to be a gospel family who does those things. It's the reality of verses 19 through 22. It's the reality of all of Hebrews, like we said, that gives us confidence before the Father, that we can come to Him in relationship with Him, and it gives us confidence in each other's lives to help each other to start following Jesus or to keep following Jesus. See, because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, because He is faithful over His house, because He's faithful over us, His people, we are forgiven and set free. Like you're really free in Christ. 
Sin no longer has dominion over you. You are not defeated by anything in your life. Christ has already won the victory for you. You are able to walk in obedience in every aspect of your life because Jesus sits on the throne. He sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for you. And so you have freedom in Christ. And because of that and in that, what that means is that you are fully known and fully loved by God. Now, I've said that phrase a few times over the last few weeks, fully known and fully loved. What do I mean by that? Well, God knows everything about you. Everything. He knows what you thought or did this morning, how you interacted with your husband or your wife or your kids. He knows what happened yesterday or last week, something you said or did, something you just thought. He knows your whole life, every aspect of who you are. He knows everything about you. And if we really stop to think about that, that idea can be scary in and of itself. That the God of all creation who's holy and righteous knows everything about you. But at the very same time, God fully loves you. He fully loves you and he made that abundantly clear when he sent Jesus to rescue you because he knows everything about you. This is a saving kind of love. It's an enduring kind of love. A committed kind of love. A not going anywhere kind of love. And it's because we are fully known and fully loved by God that we can be fully known and fully loved by one another. See, being fully known by one another means that we share not our polished versions of ourselves but the real versions of ourselves that are hidden in the shadows of our lives. See, I think a lot of times we approach community and we think that we should be in relationship with one another and we get that. But when we actually engage with one another, we present a polished version of ourselves, a a somewhat more sanctified version. And maybe we express a little bit of what we're struggling with, but we hold back. Maybe we project an, an aspect of being confident in life, but in the shadow of our lives, we're really very fearful. Or maybe, again, if you're a mom or a dad, you, you present the polished version of your family. Like, well, yeah, parenting's hard sometimes. It's difficult. I'm in a difficult season of life right now. Would you pray for me? But in the shadow of what's going on in your heart, you really are disgusted with your kids. You feel anger towards them often. And so we present that polished version of ourselves instead of the true shadow version of ourself. But if we're going to be fully known, then we have to let one another in. And we have to be willing to go out and expose ourselves and open ourselves up to one another. Not just keep it in our head, in our heart. And then to fully love and be fully loved by one another, we have to love like the Father does. We show gracious kind of love, committed kind of love, not going anywhere kind of love. When we have a community where that is, no, where that is true, where we can come and be real with one another and share what's going on in the depths of our life and our heart, and we know that we'll be loved at the same time, man, what a beautiful picture of grace that is in a place that we want to be. And so we need to tell each other that. We're not going anywhere. We need to tell each other that, that we're committed to one another, that we love one another enough to also graciously correct one another. When we see a brother or sister straying from Jesus, or struggling to believe that Jesus is better than whatever they're choosing in that moment. 
Now, my guess is, is that some of you this morning may be thinking, that sounds great, but man, what about the times I've been crushed when I've done that, when I've opened up my life, when, I, when I've shared what's going on in the depths of my heart, and someone's just, just pummeled me over that. Man, that's happened to me, too. I've sat across, sat across the table from people telling me, you're not good enough that you'll never change, that grace doesn't apply to you in this moment. I've had people talk about me way more than they talk to me about what's going on in my life. And if that's happened to you too, hear me very clearly this morning, that is not okay. That is not okay. But I want you to hear me on this. Ridicule and shame and belittling and self-righteousness have no place in a gospel family. They have no place. It's unloving and unhelpful to point out someone's shortcomings and failures and then to sit on the sidelines of their life and just judge them over and over again when they struggle and fail along the way. It's unhelpful and unloving to point out someone's flaws and failures and shortcomings and tell them, hey, I see this in your life, but I don't think you're ever going to change. It's unhelpful and unloving to point out someone's real failures and real flaws in their life and to not say, I want to walk with you in this. I want to be there with you in this. I want to help you. I want to carry you on my back if I need to, to lead you back to Jesus in this. It's unhelpful and unloving to point out someone's flaws and failures in their life and not remind them of the gospel. Not come back to the grace they have in Christ. There's a short little fable, I think I've shared this before, that I think depicts this really clearly. There was a man who was stuck up to his knees in mud and his friends came along to help him and pushed him down to his neck. Man, we can't be that kind of community where in the name of loving, in the name of helping, in the name of speaking truth to one another, that instead of helping each other out of that mud pit, we push each other further down. I don't know if you've been reading in community Bible reading over the last few weeks. We've been in the book of Job, and what a picture of that. Job's friends come to help him, and the best thing they do is for seven days they sit in silence with him, and then they open their mouths. And it's all unhelpful from there. They're trying to do something good for Job, but the way they're going about it is they're not listening to their brother. They're not listening to the heartache. They're not trying to help him see who God is in the midst of that and figure out all the confusion. They just try to give quick, easy truth answers that lack love. See, sometimes I think we speak truth but give no encouragement and grace. And when we do that, that doesn't stir up. That doesn't provoke, that doesn't fan to flame the grace of God in our lives. It destroys people. And it's more akin to Satan than our Savior. One who's our accuser, the other who's our advocate. Because see, the gospel is good news of grace upon grace upon grace for us. Scandalous grace. Enduring grace. It's grace upon grace for people who are a mess without it. And it tells us and everyone else around us that we are not okay left to ourselves. 
but we're desperate for the good news that God not only saves us, but promises to make us new and is in the process of doing that work right now, making us new. So I want you to hear me this morning. I'm sorry if that has happened to you. Whereas you've opened up your life or you've shared something with another person, all you get in return is a, a sledgehammer wrapped in a bow. And I'm especially sorry if that's happened to you here as a part of Sojourn. But please, please, for your own soul, for your own heart, don't allow that to keep you away from community. We haven't always gotten it right here. And we won't always get it right as we move forward as a church. But the risk is worth it. The risk of being in community where we can stir one another up in this way is worth it because when you live a life in isolation, it is deadly. That will destroy you. I've said this before and I'll say it again. My desire for our church is that we would be a community that is only explainable because of the gospel. That how we treat one another, how we care for one another, how we endure with one another. People look at that and they question that. Why do you keep doing this? It's because of the gospel. Because Jesus brought us together. He knit us together. What I mean by that is because of the reality of the gospel that we would be a family who is united together because of grace. And it's because of that grace that together we would provoke one another. Because of that grace that we would press on one another. Call each other to faithfulness. And obedience and worship of God alone. Not out of guilt. Not out of condemnation or pride. Not beating one another up or tearing one another down, but because we genuinely care for each other. Because we have a genuine love and concern and out of humility we come before one another, committed to one another, calling one another to live out the reality of a new heart and a transformed life. A life manifested in loving others through word and deed because he first loved us. I want us to be a community of encouragement and care that bears with and bears one another's burdens. I want us to be a community that has genuine friendships with each other. And let me speak to the men for just a second here. Men, I hear this often, and I, and I even heard this in the last week from a brother. In describing relationships with another friend, another guy, that we sometimes say, we might have a really good friend, and I know it's a really good friend because I can ride in the car for hours with him and us not talk to each other. And, and I know there's this idea that I have a really good friend because we can do these activities with one another. We don't even have to talk to each other. Man, that's a good friend. It's, a, it's kind of a side-by-side -side type of relationship. And it's true that men oftentimes begin relationships by doing something together some activity they're involved in with one another. But that's the beginning of a relationship. It's not the totality of a genuine friendship. We need to learn, men, what it looks like to have face-to-face -face friendships with other men, not just side-by-side -side relationships. And face-to-face -face friendships are challenging. They require a bit more vulnerability. They require a bit more intimacy. A word that I don't think we often like to use when we're talking about a man and having a relationship with another man, a friendship with another man. Man, it is good for your soul. 
It is good for your heart. It is good for your current or future marriage. It is good for your current or future family to have those kinds of friendships, not just side by side, but face to face with someone who actually knows what's going on in your heart, going on in your life. So with that in mind, all the author has called us to in verses 24 through 25, I really want to encourage you to sign up for man school. And we're going to talk a bit more about what that looks like at the end in our announcements. But I want you to consider taking that step towards understanding what it looks like to have those kinds of relationships. Sojourn, we will flourish. We will thrive as a church, as disciples and missionaries in the context of community rather than trying to go it alone either in reality or just functionally, because the reality is sometimes you can be surrounded by a whole lot of people, but still be very isolated, very alone. It's the gospel's family, gospel family's responsibility to make sure that none of us drift away, that we stay the course and finish the race. In short, the call of this text and my desire is that we would be a community that is committed to discipling one another discipling one another. What I mean by that is just that we would help one another to follow Jesus and be transformed to be like Jesus from one degree of glory to another. Discipleship doesn't have to be a formal one-on-one relationship. Discipleship doesn't have to follow a set curriculum. It can be those things, but that's not the totality of what discipleship is. It's two or three brothers getting up on a Friday morning and opening God's word together and reading it together and studying it together and seeking to apply it to each other's lives. It's a group of men and women sitting around and asking, how can I be praying for you? Like, what's really going on in your life? I want to pray for you. I want to intercede on your behalf and actually doing it in that moment and all throughout the week. It's Two sisters getting together and asking each other heart questions that expose the things going on in the shadow of their hearts. And at the same time, speaking truth and encouragement of grace and reminding each other of who they are in Christ. It's encouragement of seeing one another, sharing stories of grace, no matter how big or small. I mean, I need that in my own life. I was thinking about this. I was thinking about a time somewhat recently where I had met with someone at a coffee shop one morning, and it was, it was a discouraging conversation. Then I left just feeling discouraged the start of the day. And I'm like, man, it's only 8 a.m. And I already feel just discouraged. I'm discouraged about ministry. I'm discouraged about life. I don't know what's going on. And I walk out into the parking lot of this coffee shop and a sister from our church uh, gets there. She didn't know what had happened before, but she was excited about a conversation she'd had with another sister. And she was excited about what God's doing in our church. She just shared that as she was going in to go get a cup of coffee. And as I'm talking to her, another sister drives up. And she gets out of her car. We don't, none of us know that we're all going to be at this coffee shop. And she's getting there because she's getting ready to meet another sister in our church. And they're going to spend some time together looking at God's word, encouraging one another. And man, that encouraged me. That discipled me in that moment. That I can't get so sidetracked off one discouraging or negative conversation that God is doing a work in this church. He's doing a work in this community. That discipled my heart and reminded me that Jesus is better. And this isn't all up to me, that he has it. See, what this means is that if you are in Christ, all of us can help disciple one another because all of us can do things to point one another to Jesus and to remind one another of the radical reality of transforming grace. 
But see, we need to understand, we need to keep this in mind, is discipleship is not a destination. I'm sorry, not a direction, but a destination. Let me say that one more time. Discipleship is a direction, not a destination. It's, it's movement in a direction. We can't just be looking for people to think that they're actually going to arrive in this life to be just like Jesus. We want to see us moving towards that. Which means that we have to be committed to each other for the long haul. It takes time and intentionality. And the fruit of it is amazing as we see God multiply his grace in each other's lives. And we continue to walk in obedience and faithfulness. But here's something I don't want us to miss something that's absolutely crucial in all of this. You cannot provoke another until you've been provoked by God. You cannot provoke another until you've been provoked by God. We will not have true community at sojourn until we have true communion with our living God. Why? Because you have nothing to give. It's like someone asking you for the living water and you're dry to the bone. We have to have communion with God first. And I say that to you not in any kind of condemning way because I struggle with this. It is way easier for me to do than to be. I I, I get living in the world of doing is, is a whole lot more comfortable and easy. It comes more naturally for me than it does to be, to sit to rest, to have solitude with my God. Because in that moment, all I have is Him. And I wrestle with my identity. Do I, do I, are you enough for me in this moment? I struggle with that in my own life. And sometimes if I'm honest, it seems like a waste of time because there's so many other things for me to be doing. And I know that it, that's not true because Jesus tells me it isn't. Jesus tells me it's a necessity for me to spend time with the Father. In John 15, he says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. You can do nothing apart from me. Yet I still struggle with it. And I guess is the same is true for you sometimes. Listen, in all this talk about community, we have to understand something. Community isn't our refuge. Jesus is our refuge. Jesus is our refuge. True community points us to our refuge. So don't run to community just to get community. Run to community to get more of Jesus. Sojourn, I want us to be a community where it is okay to not be okay. Because we really believe that Jesus is better and we really believe that he's in the business of redeeming and restoring our lives, the brokenness of our lives. And that one of his primary means of doing that is using each other in each other's lives. There's a phrase I've said before that I think is helpful for us here is the idea of being redeemed to redeem. That God, as he brings redemption in your own life, that he would use you to bring encouragement and redemption in other people's lives. That maybe right now you're going through a difficult marriage situation and you need some care and some discipleship. But not being discouraged by that, but hopeful by that. And this is my encouragement and hope for you this morning if that's you is that God, as you sit on the couch and receive that discipleship, receive that encouragement, that you would be praying and hopeful that as God brings redemption to your life, that one day you'll be sitting on the couch across from another couple who's struggling and encouraging them and bringing redemption to their life. Whatever it is that you're struggling with, if you're struggling with purity, you're struggling with greed, you're struggling with anger with your kids this morning, man, God wants to redeem that in your life so that you might bring redemption to others in this community. But we have to be a community where it's okay to not be okay. To be able to share what's going on and encourage one another.
See, when we commit to do this kind of thing, when we're faithful to be this kind of gospel family, that's attractive to the world around us. And I want Sojourn Church to be an attractional church. Not because we have awesome music or great preaching or we're cool and we're hip. I'm up here. I guess that can't be the case, right? No, I want us to be attractive. Because when people interact with us, when they see us, when they experience this community, they see Christ in us, the hope of glory. And they're drawn to that. See, maybe you're here today and you don't yet know Jesus. You're, maybe you're not a part of a church but I hope you've gotten a taste of what it means to be a part of this church, to be a part of a gospel family. We're okay with anyone being here, being anywhere on your spiritual journey. It doesn't matter if you have a ton of questions. It doesn't matter if you don't quite understand what we're talking about or who Jesus is or what it means to know him or what it means to follow him yet. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter where you've come from or what you look like. But we also don't want you to stay where you're at on that journey, but to continue to move forward as you journey to see and experience Jesus. Because the reality is that you're not okay left to yourself. And because we at this church really do believe that Jesus is better than anything else this world promises to you or offers to you. And so if that's you this morning, know that you're welcome here. As Edward said at the beginning, you are not here by accident. God brought you here this morning. And so I want to invite you into this community, invite you in to hang out with us, to spend time with us, experience this community of grace, and to taste and see that the Lord is good and that His grace is sufficient for you too. Sojourn, this is my desire for us as a gospel family. And next week we'll talk about the context in which this is lived out. But let me close by just asking you two questions. What are you doing in your life right now what are you doing to intentionally provoke and stir up to encourage your brothers and sisters to follow Jesus more faithfully and love God more fully? What are you doing in your life right now to intentionally provoke, to stir up, to encourage those in your community right now to follow Jesus more faithfully and love God more fully? Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Does someone need you in some way today? There may be somebody in this room this morning that you have, you know that God's just putting on your mind, they're putting on your heart right now as you're listening to God's word preached this morning. You're saying, I, I know what I need to do. I need to go have a conversation. Maybe that's a conversation you have during the rest of the service today or afterwards you go out to lunch together. Whatever it is, don't let that pass but pursue those people around you. One of my favorite things about fall is getting to sit around a fire pit or a campfire of some sort with friends and family. There's something mesmerizing about fire, isn't it? You can just sit there and you can watch it. It's so interesting that by fire there's both warmth and comfort and at the same time by fire there's great destruction. And James 3 talks about this, that with our words... You can change someone's life. With our words, like a spark that ignites a destructive fire, you can destroy another person with a harsh word. Or, I would say, you could destroy another person by not being willing to open your mouth. But at the same time, you can also give life with your words. 
you can speak a word of truth and of grace to encourage, to build up, to restore, to make much of Jesus. And so I want our church to be a raging bonfire of faithfulness. A faithfulness that's white hot. White hot with love for God. White hot with love for one another. And for the advancement of his glory to the ends of the earth. And it takes a spark of faithfulness in you. In you. A stirring up. A provoking those around you to see that spark turn into a flame and spread and spread amongst our community and amongst our neighbors and amongst the nations. Seeing more and more disciples made and matured. And so sojourn, may the flame of the gospel of grace never go out in this community, but grow and grow, shining brightly to the glory of God and the good of others until Jesus returns or calls us home. Let's be a gospel family, the gospel family God has created and called us to be. One way that we can consistently seek to stir up one another to love and good works is by taking communion together every week. We come forward to receive the bread and the cup, a picture of Christ's body broken for us and his blood shed for us. When we eat the bread and drink the cup, what we do is we proclaim our continual need for God's redeeming and transforming grace. It's a gift to stir you up to faithfully follow our risen King. And so as you come forward this morning, celebrate that goodness, celebrate that grace that God has given to you. And then look around as well this morning. See your gospel family celebrating this gospel meal of grace. And may that encourage your heart that you're not in this alone. That you have a whole crew of people around you in the fight with you. And then let's sing in thankfulness and joy and rejoice the grace we've been given. The victory that we have in Christ. And that brings us together as a family. And if you're not a follower of Christ, we would just ask you not to come forward this morning to take communion, because this is a meal that declares our need for Jesus. And so I want to encourage you this morning just to think about that. Do you understand that you need Jesus? Just hang out in your seat. Talk to God about that. And if you're ready to start that relationship with Christ today, just tell God that. And then let somebody around you know that so that we can start to journey with you and help you understand what it looks like to truly know Christ and follow Christ. Those of you that will come forward, you can come to the front or the tables in the back. And what Jesus has done for you will be spoken over you this morning. Let's pray. Father, this morning my prayer is simply this. May this be so. May this be the ethos of this church. May this be the core characteristics of who we are. Help us to be faithful to you. Help us to be faithful to one another. Help us to stir up one another to love and good works by encouraging one another in the grace of the gospel. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would do that work, that we would be the gospel family you've called us to be for your glory, for our good, and for the good of others. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.